What is going on? My name is Taylor and this podcast is called Who Knows because who really does? This project was brought to life in an effort to create a space where it is okay to be confused. We all have questions, fears, and uncertainties that try to stop us from living. By talking to people with different perspectives, we can work to find the commonalities and differences that allow us to understand that not everyone has it all figured out, and that's okay. You get to create your own normal, because normal is bullshit. Just hear those sleigh bells ringling, ting, ting, tingling too. Hey, it's Christmas time, and who knows is here to bring you cheer. <laughs> What's up, guys? Uh, this is the second episode of Who Knows. Here we are, back in action, and I'm really excited to bring you guys this episode. This episode deals with work-life balance, something that I know I have been struggling with for like a really long time, pretty much ever since I got really deep into working in theater And I think this concept can be something that anyone in any field can struggle with. Just the idea of how to not get burnt out with working like crazy and making time for your personal life and other life commitments that might come up, but also making sure that your job is getting done and you're doing a great job with whatever your work is. So my guest is one of my professors, actually, uh, from University of North Carolina School of the Arts, where I'm doing my graduate degree. Um, His name is Jason Romney, and he teaches in the sound design program that I'm in. And he also works as a freelance designer here and there. But in the spirit of work-life balance, I will also mention that he is an amazing dad of four kids. So here is a conversation about work-life balance from the perspective of a seasoned professional and someone who's just breaking into their field of work. Originally, I wanted to talk to you about uh, religion, but then I did another episode about religion. Uh, And one day in crew, we were just talking about work-life balance, and Mm -hmm. you had like a lot of really good insight on that. I feel like that's something, from what I understand about your story, that's something that you had to start figuring out like intensely really early because you Mm. got married really early. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe your early career and like how you got to where you are now for one reason or another and we can get into the reasons if you want to later but yes i married fairly young i was 21 when i got married and and it was only a year and a half or so later that i was a father i was in college college like in undergraduate schools at the at the time and uh so that was those pretty big kind of life events that that dictate where you end up going in life. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, you always hear the stories about people who end up being parents when they're teenagers, you know, and, and how that derails in a lot of ways what they end up doing with their life. And mm-hmm. while that didn't happen to me, by the time, you know, by the time I was married and had kids, I, I was more or less an adult at that mm-hmm. point, uh, albeit a young adult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also kind of knew where I was heading. And so it, it wasn't a derailment at all. Uh, but it definitely influenced the decisions I made from there on out. And, you know, trying to be a college student and 
have a family was challenging and and I didn't stop there. I mean, I ultimately decided to go to graduate school as well. Another three years after after I finished my bachelor's degree, while I was married and had, had a child, and actually by the my third year of grad school is when we had our second child. So I was married with two kids not long before I graduated from from my master's program. The direction that I took my career uh, happened, and and I made those decisions in large part because of the life circumstance that I now found myself in. Right. And I think that's true of anybody, right? I mean, anybody, regardless of, of what your circumstance is and whether that circumstance was by your own choice or not, I right. mean, you, you make decisions about your career based on that. Yeah. And, so. and I do feel like a lot of the times, especially now, people who have kids young, there's like a stigma about that being like, oh, that's going to completely ruin your entire life. Like Mm -hmm. there's no way that you can be successful at all if you have like this baggage. Like that's something that in my family, like my sisters had kids really young, I think 21 and 19, and they were not ready to have children. And so my entire life, my mom was like, do not have kids. Don't like if you never (laughs) have kids, great. But like, don't have kids too young. Yes, I can see how having children and and or and or being married could derail that. Right. Right. And and could be seen as a burden and and baggage and everything. Yeah. But what is success to you? Well, that's it is I don't see it that way. Right. Right. So for me, my family is the point. Mm-hmm. Right, that is the reason yeah. that I exist. I know we weren't, you know, we had originally talked about discussing religion and things, but my but religion I, yeah. is a part of that. I feel like your religious background sort of like maybe informed those decisions. For me, the purpose of my life has nothing to do with my career. Right. You know, I mean, it's my career is just my job. And it's really nothing more than that to me. Mm-hmm. It, it happens to be a job I, en- I enjoy. Right. And I you know, find fulfillment in it right. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's just my job. Right. <laughs> and I, I could be quite happy without it. And I, and I think that's really true. I mean, I like my job, but I could do something else. That's so interesting okay. too, because of the fact that the business that we're in can so quickly turn into the only thing that happens in your entire right. life. Well, and some of that I think has to do with, you know, all of these awful, awful stories that get told to people when they're young and trying to pursue the arts, which is, you know, that, well, you know, don't go into the arts for money because you're not going to make any money. Right. And, you know, go into it because you love it. Right. And just realize that doing that means that your life will take a certain direction and and you will have to make certain sacrifices. And this is a story that we tell people, (laughs) kids, teenagers, you know, guidance counselors tell them this in high schools, you know. And, And I think... In part because of that, people who ultimately decide to pursue that career path anyway pursue it because they think that it, it feeds their soul, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they do it because there's something that, that is life-fulfilling for them about it. Right. Uh, because they go into it being told that it can't be about uh, the money, yeah. money and success and all of that because yeah. that may or may not come for you. And I, yeah. I, I hate that that story gets told because it's completely false. First of all, let's just be honest. There is plenty of money to be made in the arts. Right. Okay. You know, I think arts and entertainment is a $700 billion industry in Mm -hmm. this country. That's a massive amount of money. Yeah. I mean, that is bigger than things that we think are huge, like the construction industry 
is not $700 billion. Yeah. Right? Transportation is not $700 billion. But arts and entertainment is. And and where is all that money going? That's exactly what right? I'm thinking. Like, so where when, is when that we, money? I never see it. When we say $700 billion, <laughs> what we mean is $700 billion is spent yeah. in this country on arts and entertainment. And what is it spent on? It's spent on paying people for goods and services to produce the stuff. Right. Right? Now... You know, if let's be honest, some of that money is spent on lawyers, right? Right. That, you know, make everything, all the contracts work. And some of that is spent on caterers. When we say $700 billion, it's all spent in service of that art and that entertainment. So it's not all going to the sound designer, right? Right, sure, sure. Uh, But it is spent on that stuff. So there's plenty of money out there. So it's completely not true that you can't make any money in the arts. What is true is that the path for an, in any individual person working in the arts, the path that gets that person to that money is not very clear. And that is true. It's not like other careers where, like it, if you want to say, I want to go to nursing, for example. I have yeah. two sisters who are nurses. And, you know, it's a very clear path. Yeah. You go to college, you get a degree in nursing, and then you go get a job at a hospital as a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> and nurses or hospitals tend to want a lot of nurses, they always need them. So it, it, that, there's a very clear career path to that. The, uh, the career path for an artist is very unclear. There's probably hundreds of different paths that you could take, uh, some of which will make you money and some of which won't, uh, some of which will make you a lot of money and some of which will make you a small amount of money. It, it just depends. And you have to carve that path yourself as an artist. And so uh, a lot of people just can't figure that out. They just can't figure out how to carve that path. Right. And therefore, they never find their way to the money. And that's what then fuels this myth that there is no money to be made. Yeah. And that is not true. If you can figure out that path and carve that out for yourself, and it's different for every single person, then, yeah, it's fine. You can have a career. It's okay. So this is a slight diversion, but it plays into what you're talking about, which is that we, because we believe that, or are told to believe that, that there's no money in this, then we have to find a different reason for doing it. Right. And the reason that we find for doing it is because, well, it's a part of me. It, it is my passion. It feeds my soul and it gives my life fulfillment. Yeah. And but, that is why I do it. But then when the thing that apparently feeds your soul starts like killing your soul, you're yeah. like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like this right. is like, there have been times, especially during grad school where I'm like, this is awful. Why did I do this? What's happening? I think the beauty about the fact that you can carve your own path in this right. business is you don't have to you don't have to feel stuck. You might f- feel times oh. where you do feel stuck and then you're like, "Oh wait, if I don't want to do this part of it anymore, right. I can do something else." Like if I don't want to do musicals, yeah. I can do plays. If I don't want to do theater, I can do cruise ships or amusement right. parks. There are like 10 million other things that you can do. So there's that. There, that, that is one way out of that particular problem. And, and, if, and if we, what is the actual problem? The problem is that you go into something because you love it and it's fun and it feeds your soul. But then somewhere along the way, you, if you get far enough into it, it becomes your job. Right. And I don't care what you do for your job. Sometimes you don't like your job. Right. right? Yeah, true. So it doesn't matter what you do or how much you love it. There will be parts of it that you don't like. Yeah. That is that are not pleasant, that frustrate you and stress you out and and that you don't want to do those things. And I think everybody that goes into the arts 
and gets far enough into it, eventually confronts that problem where they say, wait a minute, I thought this was supposed, I did this because it was supposed to be fun yeah. and it was supposed to feed my soul. And now it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm going to be unhappy, I could be unhappy doing something else. Yeah. I could be unhappy being a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have a much clearer career path and make more money. Right. right? Uh, so why then am I here doing this? Right. And, and, and that is another way out of that problem is you realize, okay, real life hits mm -hmm. and I'm not happy and I'm not making money. And I'd much rather be happy, you know, still be unhappy, but making money. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'd go do something else. Right. Yeah. And so that's another way out of it. But, but you know, the way other way is what you talk about, which is that, well, I just need to look at a different path. Yeah. Right? And there and the good news is there's lots. I have that same problem all the time or that same conversation with myself all the time where I realize, well, OK, maybe I'm not super happy about how this is working out at the moment, but. You know, if it ever gets really bad, I'll just, like, go down this other road, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and then ultimately, from what you're saying, it sounds like at the end of the day, whatever is going on in your job is not what is your fulfillment no, in life. Not and at all. what <laughs> what drives your your feeling of success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't – I mean, I, I want to like what I do, and I want to feel as though I'm accomplishing something at it, uh, but my job is not – what makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that from my job. Mm -hmm. So when my job is hard and I don't like it, that's okay. I find something else. So, you know, like my job is, here, here's one of the rules I made for myself going when I really got serious about doing this career. I said, I said, you know what? My job will never be my social life. I got that a little bit from my grandfather. So I was, <laughs> I was sitting in a restaurant one time with my grandfather as I was finishing up college and getting ready to go to graduate school. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go work in theater and do this thing. And he, and he said, okay, well, just don't get too close to the people. I'm still not entirely sure what he meant by that. At the time, I, I was thoroughly offended by that comment. Yeah, yeah, Because I thought, yeah. what do you mean? I love these people. That's part of the reason why I want to do this. I right, like hanging right, around right. these creative, artistic, and interesting people. And so I don't know if that was meant to be a derogatory statement about the, the kind of people that go into the arts. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. He died before I could ever really ask him <laughs> for clarification on that. Yeah. Uh, but what I, the way I chose to interpret that statement was that the goals that I have for my life and what I will ultimately find fulfillment in and, and a feeling of success in is not going to be in the relationships I have with the people with whom I work. Which is another thing that's really interesting to me because part of what I have been going through is slightly similar to that because I have my life in Greensboro mm. and I my boyfriend lives there. My parents live there now. I have this family in Florida. And one of the other questions that I had on here was... Um, have you ever felt like the people around you were making judgments about you when you chose life obligations over work ones? Mm. And I feel like that is so prevalent in this industry. And there's two ways that I've experienced it. One of the things that I felt like being at School of the Arts is like, if you're not around, you mean nothing to these people. And like, yeah. they don't care about you. And like, you are just in this place where everybody around you is like, oh, that person's never there, so they don't exist. And like your, sometimes in my opinion, your worth doesn't end up being about the work that you do. Right. It ends up being about how much you're there, which some of that I can understand because a lot of the work is about being there. But at the same time, people don't understand that like 
I have like I have a thing going on at home and it becomes really stressful for me because of the second thing that I've always been told is that like make sure that everybody likes you because if they don't like you that's how like that's you're not going to get jobs because that's how you get your jobs is if people like you and so it becomes this big stress thing where I'm like so do do I just like pretend that these people in my family don't exist so I can like delve into these people in my career so I can make sure that I have money well, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, but yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> but I think here's here's you know let's start with the people have to like me part. Yeah. Uh, because if you can separate this notion of my job from my social life, right. those are two separate things. Then you realize that the people with whom I work do not have to be my friends. Right. Okay. I have other friends. I can count on maybe, you know, one hand the number of people with whom I work who I would truly consider friends. Right. There are plenty of people I get along with quite well and we work quite well together, but I wouldn't consider them friends. I'm not going to call them when I have a family life crisis. Right. You know. Uh, so if you can first make that separation, that, that, that my friends and the people with whom I work are not the same people. Then you realize that, okay, I have a, that, that means I have a different kind of relationship with the people with whom I work. I like to sort of throw it back into, onto myself and say, well, what is my feeling about the people with whom I work? What makes me want to work with them or not want to work with them? It's not necessarily because I like them. Right. There are plenty of people who I am more than happy to work with every day that I don't necessarily like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other reasons why I want to work with them. I want to work with them because they're smart, or I want to work with them because they make my work easier. Right. Or you know, there's lots of other reasons why you would want to work with somebody. And I think the comment of, of well, people have to like you because that's how you get work. I think that's maybe not the best way to state that. I think the best way to state that is you you want to be the kind of person that other people want to work with. Mm-hmm. That is not the same thing as them liking you. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) And when we get into, like, what does it really mean to have a work-life balance? Well, there's two. I think there's two fallacies or misconceptions that a lot of people have about that. One is that to have a true work-life balance, that means that I get to spend as much time as I want to or feel like I need to at home in my non-work life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. Yeah, I don't okay? think so either. But I, there are other people who also think that a work-life balance means I spend just as much time and energy on my job as I do on my other, the other parts of my life. That those are the same. And I don't think that's true either. Because ultimately, when we talk about balance, you're just talking about things leveling out. And there's more than one way to level something out. If right. you think about the seesaw, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, if, if the fulcrum of that thing is in the middle, then yes, you have to put the same amount of weight on both ends. But there's another way to balance that. And you could have a different weight on each end of that thing if you just move the fulcrum. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if you, if you think about, all right, what does it actually take? What, how much energy and resources does it take out of me to maintain the side of this that I am unwilling to compromise on? So in my case, that's my family. So the side of my life for which I am unwilling to compromise is that. So that's my static. And then I say, all right, how much do I need to invest into my career in order to keep this other side of my life afloat? Mm -hmm. And one way of doing that is to have that fulcrum in the middle, right? So I invest just the right amount of energy 
and the, the same amount of energy into that as I do my, my, my personal life, and then they balance out. But the other thing is I could just move that fulcrum. And one way of moving that fulcrum for me is that I got married. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, some people could interpret this as me being, you know, patriarchal or chauvinist or whatever, but my wife is my partner mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a partnership and we have a, an agreement, you know, that we are going to raise this family and we know what that means and we know what we want to accomplish by that. And we know that we cannot accomplish that with both of us working in a job outside the home all the time. We, it's not possible for us to achieve that. So one of us has to carry a significant piece of that of, of that load of teaching and raising and caring for our children. There have been times when I have taken part of that role. And there have been times when my wife has. And right now my wife is. So she so her job is t- taking care of our family. She runs our house, she takes care of our kids, she takes them to school, she helps them with their homework. She does a lot of that stuff. And that and doing that means that then I can move the fulcrum, mm-hmm. right? And still keep the thing afloat. Because my piece of that is less than it would be if I was carrying that burden entirely on myself. Mm-hmm. Now, the extent to which you split that load of personal life and family life and, and your kids and is different for every single person. We've found a balance that works for us. And, you know, we're, we're happy with that. Mm-hmm. But when I was in college, my wife was the one who was out working. She... she worked at doctor's office. She worked as, as a medical assistant for years. She worked me through college. You know, our kids were in daycare and, you know, and it was a really frustrating time of life for us because we didn't feel like we were really accomplishing our goal, but now we are and it's fine. So that, that is how I've, I've, I've sorted it out is that the balance is more about moving the fulcrum. But the reason it's not been an issue for me is because I bring the goods. <laughs> to my job. Yeah. Right? Regardless of the amount of time I invest into it, I deliver. Yeah. <laughs> and I make sure that I'm very clear with the people with whom I work, that we have very clear expectations about what I am going to deliver. And I make sure I deliver that. And I I rely on, you know, my bosses, if you will, or supervisors or whomever I make sure that we have an agreement that I decide how I make it happen. Yeah. And as long as I'm making it happen, <laughs> then they don't need to worry about what I'm doing when I'm not here. Yeah. So when you start getting in trouble with work-life balance and when you start getting in that situation where people judge you because of your choices is when you're not bringing the goods. Right. <laughs> right, right. Right? When your life obligations are getting in the way of you delivering what you are expected to deliver. Right. And I have very serious conversations very regularly with the people with whom I work. I mean, I have this conversation with our dean very regularly. He always asks me, you know, so how you doing, Jason? And I say, I, I'm not, don't feel like I'm doing really well. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm not really sure I'm delivering. I think I'm to a point right now, professionally, where I probably have too much to do. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not really, really delivering. And he said, no, you're doing great. And I say, I'm really not. Yeah. But if you're comfortable with the extent to which I am delivering or not delivering, then then we're fine. I'll no. keep doing what I'm doing. If you're not comfortable with it, then we need to talk because, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that could also bring us to another one of the questions of what is failure to you? Would right. you deem that as like 
a, like you're kind of feel like you're failing a little bit, like you're failing other people or you're failing yourself. Like, and right. which one of those things matters more is like if you personally feel failure or if somebody else is determining that you're failing. Well, you know, I mean, if someone else is determining that you're failing, but you don't, then obviously you have a problem of expectations. Yeah. And I try to make sure I'm very clear about expectations. Sure. Again, the, the part of my life for which I'm unwilling to compromise is my family. Right. So if I'm failing at that, then then I'm not going to be real happy. Yeah. I am willing to fail at my job if it means I can succeed with my family. Mm. And, and I can make peace with that. I, I don't beat myself up too much about that. But what I do want to make sure of is that even though I might feel as though I'm failing at my job, that I am still somehow meeting other people, the other expe- expectations that other people have. So if I get to the point where I feel like I'm failing and my dean, for example, feels like I'm failing, if we both feel like I'm failing, then we got a problem. Right. Right. But if he feels like, if he's happy, he's satisfied with what I'm able to deliver, even if I feel like I'm failing, but I still feel like I'm succeeding at home, then I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. Uh, it's not the perfect scenario for me, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because again, my job is just my job. The success that you have had with work-life balance is really just having that sense that work is work and life is life and they don't have to be these determining factors. They don't have to be things that clash with each other Mm -hmm. and they don't have to be something that you have a difficulty with either one of them because you have chosen for one of them to be something that if that falls, I have this other thing that I, that I really invest my time in and that is more important to me. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. And I, there, there was a time, you know, in my life, I would say, gosh, it's probably been nine, eight, nine years ago where that got really out of whack for me. And it was when my son, our third son, um, who was born in 2007, mm-hmm. he was diagnosed with a life-threatening, incurable disease. Okay. okay. And in the process of figuring that out, he ended up in the hospital in the ICU for six weeks, you know, fighting for his life. I mean, we, you know, we honestly thought he wasn't going to survive. And that happened during the school year here at School of the Arts. And again, there was this part of my life that I saw that that's, that is the important thing to me. Right. And my job will have to suffer. And I made a conscious decision about that. The, and the only way that I, we made that work and that everyone was okay was that I had some conversations with the people with whom I work and I had to explain to them what was going on and I had to get them involved in parts of my personal life that I normally would not be comfortable getting them involved in. Of course, I mean, you know, in that kind of situation, what what employer is going to say, right. no, don't go be with your son who's dying in the hospital. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as, as awful of an experience as that was and, you know, he survived and he's 10 now and he still has this disease and we don't know what's going on with that. But, but we got through that and it's in a lot of ways really helped me because that was fairly early in my career here at school of the arts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'd really only been working here for three years at that point. Full okay. time. 
But that did a lot to set the tone of the way in which I was engaged in this job. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, and I had a very, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess honest. I had a very honest and frank conversation with the dean at the time when that, you know, after the dust settled on all that thing and he and I sat down and I said, okay, here's, first of all, thank you for, you know, working with me and we got that all to happen and everyone picked up some slack and we got through it. Um, and thank you for that. And I don't anticipate this. Obviously that, we, that can't be business as usual. I can't be always, I can't have this job and never actually do this job. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure that I can do this. I said, and I appreciate you, you know, working with me in the meantime. I said, however, uh, just know that because you did that for me, I now feel a very strong sense of loyalty towards this place. Yeah. That was so accommodating and so willing to allow me to get that balance out of whack for a short period of time. And so please don't hesitate <laughs> to utilize me. Yeah. Because I feel like I now owe you. Yeah. And you know, that goes back to bringing the goods. Yeah. <laughs> that it's like, you know, that's how I feel. That's one of the ways I keep it in balance for me is that I try to make sure I'm bringing the goods. And I realized coming out of that experience that I had to deliver some serious goods. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, that was, that was a huge disruption for a lot of people. Yeah. For my students, for the other people who teach, for, you know, everybody. Um, so what does success mean to you? I said I felt I feel like it's ultimately internal and feeling as though something that you've done is something that you can feel good about and that you made an accomplishment on something that you might not have thought you couldn't do. So I feel like it's I feel like success is more of like a personal journey than like people being like, great job. That's yeah. awesome that you did that. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, I break it down. And I'm like, OK, I'm doing something that I set my mind to and I really wanted to do. I get to work on a project with Maria where we've always wanted to work on stuff together. So we right. made, we set that goal and we're doing it. And I, I'm pushing forward and I'm not worrying so much about, oh, is this going to be the most popular thing ever? It's internally, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling good about what I'm doing. That's really difficult sometimes with art, especially because the whole point of any art project is for it to be received by somebody. Sure. And so when it comes to that point, it can be really difficult to hold on to my idea of, oh, it's about I'm doing this and I'm setting forward and I'm having this journey with myself with this art that I'm doing. And then when people receive it and they're like, oh, I don't like this or they have comments about it. And that can be really difficult and that can sometimes make me feel like I'm failing. But then for the question of what does failure mean, I said that failure ultimately, yes, when people are like, your art is not good, it does hurt. But real failure would be not doing it at all. The work-life balance idea for me has always been being able to invest as much time as I can into my work and also be able to have times where I can completely forget about that and be with my family. But I feel like a lot of times 
in especially in theater, and I experienced this a lot at my last job when, that I was working before I came here, that any time I was gone, I'm getting calls, I'm getting mm-hmm. text messages, and it just completely throws off any sense of separation right. when, and Maria and I talk about this a lot, where theater has a way of trying, it's like a virus. It tries yeah. to encroach on every single part of your existence. And then I I feel completely, I feel like I'm drowning. Like I have this thing that like, yes, I love and I want to be successful at, but I want to get away from it sometimes and I want right. to do other things. I think, you know, that can happen. And I, I've certainly had times in my life where I felt like that's happening, but I've realized that it only that I am the one who decides whether or not that happens. Right. I am the one who decides whether this consumes me. And I learned very quickly <laughs> that in most cases, I hold most of the cards <laughs> in the relationship between me and my employer. Do you feel like that's because you have, like you said, like you have the goods, like you have something that they need for you to do? What it boils down to for me is that I am willing to walk away. (laughs) I really am as unpleasant and as uncomfortable and as disruptive as that might be. I am willing to do it if this situation does not work for me. Mm Mm-hmm. I will find a situation that does. And so I try to be very clear with, you know, theaters that I choose to collaborate with, you know, the university here, all the other things I do with my career. I try to be very clear with all these people that this has to make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And and if it doesn't, I will find something that will. And I've never had, it's never gotten that far. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've definitely had a couple couple of situations where I've had to have conversations where I've said, you know, things are feeling a little out of whack. And if there's a way for us to change that here, then that's great. If not, I'm going to, I will be compelled to have to start thinking about other options. Right. And, you know, if it, it, that can be very, a very dramatic kind of conversation. It can right. be very simple. I mean, in some cases, you know, when I, for example, I have chosen very consciously to try to engage in freelance work that is within driving distance of my house. Right. In large part because of what I'm trying to accomplish with my family. Uh, I could very easily travel the world doing what I do. Right. Um, and, you know, I turn down opportunities sometimes, you know, because it's like, I just don't really want to be gone that long. And so when I'm off doing something, I you know, I work down in Charlotte a lot, and I have conversations with them all the time where I, where I say, you know what, it's very impor- important to me that I go home every night. It's a big reason why I am choosing to work down here. Right. However, it does not make sense for me to go home every night if there are less than 12 hours between when I walk out of the the door and when I walk back in. Yeah. If there's less than 12 hours between when I leave this theater and when I come back, it doesn't make sense for me to go home. Yeah. So the first thing I ask them to do is, can you just try to make sure that there's at least 12 hours between when I have to walk out and when I come back in? And usually they say, yeah, of course. Because to them, that saves them money. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because the alternative is they have to put me up in a hotel somewhere. Yeah. And they don't want to do that because that costs them money. Right. <laughs> and so they're usually very accommodating if I, when I put it that way. Uh, but then there are times when they say, you know, we just really can't. This is just the way the schedule's got to be. And I say, okay, well, then that night I'll stay. 
and you got to put me somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and they will, right? And and that that is not an adversarial conversation. That is just a conversation about the harsh realities of the situation we're yeah, in. Yeah, I mean that's like, that's and that's really awesome that you are able to have that conversation and it be fine yeah. because ultimately in my opinion that's not like an insane request no. like if you're doing if this like the theater as a whole if you are doing if you're putting on this show yeah. and you want this kind of work and you want this kind of product this is the this is what you have to give in yeah. order for it to happen and i feel like that's really awesome that they're willing to do that well because i bring the goods yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> now if if i was you know not bringing the goods and telling them they have to accommodate their schedule around me wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Right. But I bring in the goods and they realize that, okay, we value that. And, and I'm very clear to them. So the only reason I'm here is because we have been able to come to an arrangement that makes sense to me. Right. Cause I don't have to do it here. I could do it other places. I yeah. do it here because you're working with me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, and I will bring the goods yeah. as long as you continue to do that. Because there's something in it for me, too. I mean, at the basis level, I get money. Yeah. Right? I mean, they pay me. Yeah. They pay me well. So that's the, the, the very basis level is that. But also, I find the work fulfilling, and I like bringing my kids to the shows, and you know, so that's important. We have kind of – it may not have ever been explicitly stated, but it is at least implied that as long as we can continue to make this work, I will – continue to do this yeah but the second it starts not working i'll just go somewhere else yeah and a smart employer realizes that they realize that it's more disruptive for me to replace somebody than it is for me to accommodate them tell me a little bit about how this idea of how important family is and how that is what's most important in your life kind of came about in your upbringing Right. Well, I think, you know, it it has a lot to do with my religion. Right. Okay. So I'm a Mormon and there is a lens through which you could look at Mormonism where you could say that we worship family. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that family is ultimately the goal Mm. of the religion. Okay. And, you know, we can't possibly fully explain that in the amount of time that we have. Right, sure. But suffice it to say that ultimately the fruit of the religion is family. You know, what we believe is that that family, if you do it a certain way, is forever. Mm -hmm. That is happening forever. It's not just now, which is why it's the thing Right. That I place the highest priority on. Right. Because it is the thing that is the least fleeting in my life. Right. The results of that will perpetuate forever. And I will be living with the consequences of that forever. Yeah. The consequence, you know, the, to the extent to which I live with the consequences of what happens with my job are temporary. Yeah. Minuscule. Yeah. In comparison. Right. And so why would I invest undue energy and resources and uh, emotion and whatever into this thing that is a grain of sand Yeah. <laughs> in the larger context of the beach of my life. Right. You know? And so that's what, that is why I have made the choices I've made in my life is because the religion in which I was brought up and ultimately decided to live points me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And again, I like the kind of person I am when I'm doing that. Right. So that's what I do. For so long, 
I've been told like career is the thing, career is the right. thing. And now I am finding that I'm like, wait a minute, that's not making me ultimately happy all the time. Right. And it's, and it is confusing. And it's, and it's a lot of rethinking that I have to do when for so long it's been theater is the thing. Right. This is the thing. This is what you spend all your time doing. And then you start being, you start growing up and you're like, Oh, look at all these other things I can do now that I'm not forced to do all these things that I was forced right. to do when I was young. It's, and it's a big change that you have to make when you, when you get to this age and when you get into, especially in grad school where you're like, okay, I'm getting all this last, I'm getting, this is my last chance to get all this information. Right. And then Nobody's going to tell me what to do with it. I'm just going to take it and be like, great, I have all this stuff. Let's figure out what to do with it. Family is important, but everyone in my family is like, uh, like, especially in my immediate family, like my mom and my dad are like career. We're doing career. Like they always pushed career on me, which I still find really important. But I think that now more than ever, while yes, I'd like to have money, the idea of doing things that can make me money but are also fulfilling and are are making a difference and are important in that way is more important. Like doing children's theater, I mm-hmm. think, is really important because, like, I don't have kids, but, like, these are some other people's kids that right. I can be like, I worked on that thing that yeah. maybe it <laughs> made a difference in their life. And so kind of I, I find myself pushing in that direction. Right. I will not you know, be so bold as to say the choices that I've made with my life will make everyone happy if they make the same choices. Right. I don't know that that's true. I can say it's worked for me and it's made me happy. Yeah. And I can certainly tell people if you're unhappy, try what I did Yeah. because what I did made me happy. Right. I can say that with confidence, but I can't say what you're doing with your life is not going to make you happy. I right. can't say that. I don't know. Yeah. And so um, I think that we spend or we can spend far too much time and energy comparing ourselves to other people and the choices that they've made uh, with their life and their profession. And for a while, at the beginning of my career, I definitely got the sense from a lot of people that they thought I had made the wrong choices for Mm. my career. And that was fine. You know, (laughs) they can think that. Uh, but it was my life and my career and I made the choice I made and I owned it. Yeah. I feel like that ability to be confident in yourself is a very key aspect of that, of what you're talking about. The, the way that I have defined my career and the way that I'm going to choose to engage in it, I want to be the best at that as I can be. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ever feel like someone else is doing my career better than I am. Yeah. You know, but again, I'm, t- I'm willing to compromise on that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> as much as I want that. And I will work hard to achieve that. I will not work hard to achieve that at the expense of things for which I care more about. Right. So, and, and I, and I think that is ultimately why I am able to achieve the about the balance in life that I have been able to achieve. I'm not saying my life is perfectly in balance. It's not, but I'm satisfied for the most part with the balance I'm able to achieve. And, but within that balance, I want to be good. Mm-hmm. I want to be good at what I do. I'm yeah. gonna, I want to be really good at what I do. That's important to me. But I also am not particularly ambitious. I'm just interested in solving problems and being good at stuff. And so if I see a problem to solve that no one else is solving and I think I can do it, I'll go do it. Yeah. Because that would be interesting and fulfilling to me. I don't, but it's not 
fulfilling in and of itself. It's fulfilling in the sense that, okay, I can do that. I can have a job. I can make a little bit more money. And then I can deliver a little bit more to this side of my life at home that I want to be able to deliver on. Right. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, it was really insightful, especially for somebody that is sort of in still in the growing stage of figuring mm-hmm. out what this work-life balance is. This is just a good, feels good to know that it is achievable somewhere out there. So I really appreciate you talking to me today. Well, I do want to challenge that the notion that I have achieved it. I'm not sure that I have <laughs> achieved it, but maybe I'm a little bit further along than yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm still working on it, too. Yeah. It's a work in progress. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope you were able to get something out of this episode, maybe about some new perspectives on how to find your own work-life balance, or even just that it is okay to have a life that isn't just your job. And of course, I want to thank Jason for coming onto the show and having this conversation. So I also just want to say, uh, like I said in the beginning, we are back in action. We'll be having episodes coming out every two weeks as best we can. Um, And I cannot thank you all enough for sticking with us. I know there was a hiatus there for a little bit, uh, but we're back and we plan to keep it that way. For those of you that are here, tell your friends about us. You can find more episodes of Who Knows on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. That's the podcast app. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Dankovich, edited and co-produced by Maria Wortel. Our music this week is by Colin Nance and Chris Williams. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcastwhoknows at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We are always taking suggestions about things to talk about on the show. Uh, We want to talk about everything. So let us know what you want to hear about. We also have an Instagram page, which is at whoknowspodcast. Um, That'll be a really good place to find out about what our next episodes are going to be and other updates we might want to send out there. We're also on Facebook now. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at Who Knows with a question mark. Thanks again for listening. Who knows who's out there, but you rock and I love you. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm just laughing at myself right now, thinking about how I sang that song.